Hey, before we start the podcast, I got something you're interested in. So Iron Source has teamed up with Deconstructor of Fun to bring you Level Up 2021 in late June. It's a virtual game developer conference you just don't want to miss. We'll have five different tracks to choose from, exclusive gaming content, a legit A-list roster of game industry expert, and of course, the crew, the normal hosts. We got myself, Mishka Katkoff, we got Eric Kress, Eric Suford. Adam Telfer, and Joseph Kim all hosting this event. It's a perfect way to level up your gaming knowledge. Anyways, there's a limited number of invites, so I suggest you register now by following the link in the description of this podcast. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With With incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appsflyers.com. Hey, and welcome to This Week in Games episode 134. We got the crew, Adam Telfer, Eric Suford, Eric Kress, and myself, Mishka Katkov. How's everybody doing? Doing well. I went out to lunch with Mr. Joseph Kim last week on Friday. Nice. Two old men. Yeah, two old men talking shit. Yeah, it was good. (laughs) He looked good. He actually looks healthier. I don't know. Maybe maybe he's getting some sleep or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like I said, you got to get back here. That's that's good to hear. That's good. I got, you, I got, actually I got, had out, you actually had lunch though, like at yeah, a restaurant. Yeah, we had lunch out in uh, San Mateo. Uh, wow. And, and I said, look, you know, Eric C- Sufert is making me look stupid. You got to come back and replace him <laughs> so I look smarter. 
Um, am, I off? Yeah. am I out? Am I out? <laughs> <laughs> is this, this no, is how you I, tell me? <laughs> no, I don't think he's coming back anytime soon. We'll see, but Joseph, but uh, anyway, I, I was supposed to do his, uh, um, his Stonk Brothers thing with uh, about uh, Jam City, but uh, I was unable to do so, but I will touch on my thoughts on Jam City later. Today. Yeah, and plus everybody can go to YouTube, search for Stonk Brothers, and watch JK talk about stock with um I forgot his name, but I think he's uh he's a Pixelberry, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, we should probably mention his name. Eric, you remember his name? I have no idea. Fuck. Anyway, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> he's been on the podcast before. We're just blanking out. Steve um, Polly? Yeah. Steve Polly, wait, yeah what's up? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah it's Steve, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Steve. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> All right, so edit, edit, I, yeah, <laughs> edit. Everyone forgetting his name. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, um, oh, Pixelberry. By the way, Pixelberry. I remember his name. <laughs> Pixelberry is a really bad name, right? I mean, it's just like the Dingleberry. Every time I think about it, I think of Dingleberry, and I'm like, I, I can't get it out of my head, you know. So anyway, I I, I think that was a poor choice. Just saying. Uh, all right. Well, I think they did well despite that name. So, so, so shout out to Pixelberry and all. Um, I have to say, I got hooked to a game uh, once again. This time to a paid game. I know this is going to make you, you know, sick to your stomach. But there oh was this um, Steam game called Northguard, and it came to iPads, and I was playing it like an addict. Like something about that, like building your own Viking village and starting from the ground up. It's like a settlers, but only with Vikings. Such a fun game. So if you're into like an RTS slash kind of resource management game, um, it costs, I think it costs like $8 or something like that. Highly recommended. I'm totally hooked. And, um, but I've been, I've been clean for a few days, so I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, not gonna open it up. any. any does, does it actually play well on, on yeah. iOS? So surprisingly, yes. Like, well, like it's an RTS or, or a clicker in, in many sense. And it plays really well. Like it was quite intuitive just using the touch controls. I didn't need a mouse, nothing like that. And of course the speed is not as fast because I don't need to move various different troops so quickly. There are attacks, there are battles, but it's it's for like a resource management game with great fidelity and and um, just, just like, you know, that kind of like Fallout Shelter gives you a blimp of that type of resource management. But this goes kind of deep, like, the guys get angry at you and there's like winter coming and oh god that's so old school wood, and that's... you're like fuck and then people are starving they're getting sick you don't have silos so you, and then you're just restarting and restarting and restarting i i somehow like love these resource management games so anyway whoever made north guard i kind of forgot but shout out to that team fantastic game really fun really fun to play and uh, i'm sure somebody will do a free-to-play version of it sometime soon all right. I'm still Move waiting on. for somebody to do RimWorld as a free-to-play game. I don't know if you got people. You, if you enjoy resource management games and you enjoy the stories of people going insane in your little colony, yeah, RimWorld, is absolutely. It, is it like space in in space? Wait, as soon as it's space, like Miska's out. That's it. Yeah, pretty much. I'm just asking. Like, <laughs> in space. Like, as <laughs> yeah, long as it's so Nordic hard. and Finnish, then yeah, then sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Aryan, anything Aryan, right? All right, oh, come on. <laughs> less about like learning new type of resources and planets. Like, anyways, we haven't even started on the news yet. Let's start, let's start on the news. <laughs> anyway, okay. let's um, start with news. Adam, what do you got? So, quick updates. Um, so, there's actually a really great YouTube video. Recommend everybody checking it out. We should put it in the the um, the, the notes here. Um, who is Wong Sing Wen? 
hopefully I said the name properly, but uh, he's the Lilith Games founder and actually initially started at Tencent, um, got a C rating uh, when he was at Tencent, which is basically a fail, um, and uh -huh. used uh, basically the motivation of that to kickstart Lilith in 2013 and went on to build Dota, Dota Legends, which of course, obviously was a massive success. And then of course now Rise of Kingdoms and AFK Arena. Um, really, really interesting point there was that it, uh, Dota Legends was actually based on Patapon, which was that old PSP game uh, made by Sony, uh, which actually oh, yeah. inspired him to build an auto battler with huh. only kind of big moment control. Um, anyways, um, very interesting video. Uh, Lilith, obviously, um, at least my, my own favorite developer right now, um, seems to be focused on all the right things when it jumps into a genre, um, especially it, AFK. Great design. The, is the video in Mandarin or? No, it's in English. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, I, I can't. Yeah, I, I don't know. No, I mean, I thought it, it had subtitles. <laughs> I didn't think you learned Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> Just for this YouTube video, I learned Mandarin. No, that's not the case. Um, next up, uh, Nico Partners did a great roundup of the latest news from Tencent. Um, one interesting headline is that Timmy has been rumored to have generated $10 billion in 2020. Uh, and Rotors backed that up. Um, also, that the company would be ramping up investments in high production, AAA, narrative-focused titles that appeal uh -oh. to more Western audiences. <laughs> um, so from Nico Partners and Game Daily, Tencent has already closed 51 games-related deals in 2021. Um, so, But don't freak out. It's not like that's 51 Microsoft-level de deals. Uh, 39 are actually from China. Five are from South Korea, and just seven are from outside of that. Um, so in terms of the news, of course, Timmy is really ramping up towards Pokemon Unite, the MOBA, uh, which is the, their big title around the corner. And I think the repeat from last time, there's a lot of news here about just Tencent basically cornering uh, Western IP holders with being the de facto partner for entering China as well as entering uh, mobile space. So there is news here that Tencent will be partnering with Roblox to become um, the Chinese partner there um, as well. They announced that there's deals with, of course, Ubisoft, Electronic Arts, um, Pokemon, Nintendo, Activision, Tetris, and now Microsoft Game Studios, um, all for bringing their IP to mobile and to the, um, into China. So for more, definitely sign up for Nico Partners. Uh, that's definitely my source for understanding all this. Uh, the IPO train keeps on a chugging. So the big news this week, Devolver Digital. Uh, he's going for a 1 billion Great British Pound valuation. Eric is already shaking his head. <laughs> My Lord. Dude. Yeah. Um, so it's all good news. Me. What's so funny is it's so good news for me. My, like, yep. my coverage universe went from like 8 to 20 in like six months, right? Yep. But yep. it's going to go right back from 20 down to fucking 8 as in soon the next as the, two uh, years. As soon it's, as the dog tolls for some of these deals. It's yeah. going to be fucking tragic, dude. But, you know. Uh, living, if you don't living, know who Devolver Digital is, right, they are the, uh, I would say, like, the top indie publisher, right? So, like, Loop Hero, Hotline Miami, Enter the Gungeon, Katana Zero, Fall Guys was all published by Devolver Digital. Um, I don't know anything about their financial. Um, from an external perspective, they actually have a pretty good hit rate for indies, but obviously at a much smaller scale um, since these games just don't sell the same types of units. The only exception, of course, is Fall Guys, which did exceptionally well uh, for them through 2020. But ultimately, Fall Guys was actually built by Mediatonic, who is owned now by Epic. So I don't really understand fully the value there for Devolver Digital, um, since likely Epic will be trying to break them out of that publishing deal over time. 
But anyways, all I can say is just get out there before that COVID impact drops for sure. <laughs> Jesus, sell the top. Smart. Yeah. Um, Dreamforge, which is Morheim, Mike Morheim's Haven of Exodus from Blizzard, um, is partnering with more studios. So Lightforge Games, Raid Base, and one more game uh, they're adding as dev partners. I'm not exactly sure how all this is going to be working, but this is adding on top of their current two internal studios, Moonshot and Secret Door. Uh, again, I'm not really sure what this means. Um, it just sounds like Dreamhaven is going to be partnering slash publishing with them and leveraging their resources to help those teams. Um, it's still pretty vague. They're, they're like rebuilding Blizzard. You know, they're yeah. like, they have five teams. Like all they need is two more teams and then Blizzard is recreated. You know, they're probably going to create a real-time strategy IP. They're going to create an MMO. They're going to create mm -hmm. a, a RPG, action RPG. And then they're going to have other teams that are working on mobile. Whoa, wait a minute. Oh, that's Blizzard. Oh, wait, no, that's Streetforge, right? Which one yeah. is it? <laughs> anyway, so, so I, I love it. I love it. Reforge. Have you guys looked at that? Who are the investors? Mm -hmm. the, I, I have some contacts, sources, or uh, clients that have looked at funding. Uh, Looking, I don't know if they've closed anything yet, but I, I'm sure they're working on raising a gajillion dollars. Like it's going to be ridiculous. It's probably going to be the highest like first stage raise ever in video games. Uh, I, I actually do not have any idea of what the scale will be, but I'm sure it's like 500 to a billion or something ridiculous. You know, <laughs> so we'll see. Um, I think he has people lining up. Uh, last update from me is just a soft launch update on Clash Quest. Uh, since we gave a review of that, uh, you know. How many podcasts ago? Maybe three, four podcasts ago when it was oh, announced. Yeah, I think more. Yeah, like we, uh, I obviously have a lot of concerns just because I feel like it's not really embracing um, the RPG model, and it's kind of halfway between a puzzle saga model and a CCRPG, which uh, to me is worrying. But still, overall, looking at the performance, it's hit about a dollar RPI in Finland after about seven weeks now. Um, but the RPI is flattening. So as far as one dollar, it's that's that's pretty good compared to its comp. So Legend of Soul Guard was about 40 cents at this point, which is um, obviously not the, the goal of Supercell. They want to beat that. Um, but uh, Empires and Puzzles was roughly $1.80. So still at the end of the day, that's the range, 40 cents to buck 80. They're at $1. RPI is still a bit misleading here because at this point, Clash Quest is at about 70,000 downloads and still growing versus Empires and Puzzles was only at about 1,500 downloads and really stable. Um, so likely to inflate that RPI metric. Um, so it's pretty difficult to really get a bead on this. So too early to make a call, but still, um, that's the RPI difference that we can see. You can be looking at the RPI in Finland for Clash of Clans, for for uh, for Clash of Clans or a Supercell game. It's just misleading. Yeah, exactly. So hoping that they open up some countries so I can get a better read on how well it's doing. I feel like I have to be the word on the street guy because JK is not here, but word on the street is that Supercell has some some pretty pretty interesting games in addition to these clash games coming out and they're pretty bullish about those so uh it's gonna be interesting to see what are those games well it's only been out for months you know like they have like their normal beta schedule of like two decades <laughs> maybe well, by that time well, it'll scale rush wars was killed after one update yeah well all right we'll so, see so yeah yeah it doesn't it doesn't look good although i mean it looks very Supercell y. Yeah. Um, well, talking about Supercell, so there was, um, again, so we covered this in the last last episode is the, uh, the Supercell, the Supercell's 180 million credit facility to Metacore. And um, there was an interesting LinkedIn post that was actually Medium post 
from founder of Pollen VC, Martin McMillan. And Pollen VC is essentially the type of company that does give credit lines to other companies to scale up UA. He pointed out three things why he, he considers this a good move. So first, first element that he said, it, it sends a strong signal to the founders that using VC funding is not the right way to fund user acquisition. So that's his opinion. Uh, the second <laughs> <laughs> the second reason for, for of this. Of course it is. Yeah. I mean, you can ask, you know, you can ask like small giant, was that a smart, smart move to take VC and, and scale up? But anyways, uh, the, the second part was like, why debt, why debt and not equity? So they said they already have a wealth of data to project LTVs on their game. And therefore their UA spend is sufficiently de-risked to be funded by depth. Now, I don't, I, again, this is an interesting take because there's a lot of changes happening on in the UA landscape, especially with the ATT. So, um, but yeah, Eric can can take a, take a stab on that. And the third reason was that developers normally try to seek even larger credit lines from Facebook, Google, etc., to enable them to keep spending. And the ad networks offer short-term credit facilities to keep developers spending on their platforms, but are not in the business of taking the long-term LTV risks on the game. I think he makes good points in favor of credit line, and of course, he has to because that's that's their business. Uh, but another point that, that he kind of misses that was very interesting in this specific case is that Supercell is both major investor and main creditor in the company. So I think that that's a, that's a little bit of a different thing. What do you think, Suford? Yeah, I so I wrote a post about this two weeks ago uh, called The Money Multiplier of Performance Marketing. And I think the idea here is like, when you find games that work and you can see that the unit economics are strong, you can pay back in some kind of short to medium term amount of time. It, it, this is just like, uh, you know, the compounding effect of paying back the cohorts and then redeploying the money on marketing um, can, can be, you know, it's not, it's not, obviously not risk-free and there, there are concern, you know, there can be concerns about cohorts aging out or, or cohorts changing over time, but like you, you, it's basically just, you could, you could just multiply your money, right? I mean, there's like a multiplier effect from the compounding. And so if, for that reason, it makes sense to use debt there and not equity because equity could be expensive, right? If you, if you grow the valuation of your company 5X or 10X by scaling a successful game, um, you know, at, if you're an early stage ish startup, um, you don't want to give that 20% of that away to investors when you could just take debt and, uh, and pay like a fee. Um, you know, I think that the Pollen VC and, and Bravo type companies, they're, they're great for this, right? Uh, but they were, they were pretty early, right? They were, they, were, they were early in the sense that like, this was an unproven model. There weren't a whole lot of games like this. Um, you know, a lot of some of those companies, they basically just have lines of credit with banks, right? And so then they're just kind of taking a cut. Uh, they're adding a little bit of fee on top of what they're getting from the bank and doling that back out. Um, th you know, there are other companies that have built up like a model for this that it, it goes beyond gaming. So this clear bank. Uh, which is a Canadian company. They they mostly provide funding for like D 2 C brands, um, but it's basically it's the same thing. It's basically it's basically like uh, factoring, right? It's 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 financing receivables. And then there's there's Coop, uh, C O O P by uh, big in, uh, French investment bank society Generale. I'm, I'm just butchered that, um, but they they launched a few months ago. Haven't heard too much from them, but they're doing basically the same thing. Um, I, I my sense is that this this form of debt financing it, it probably only gets more popular. Um, you know, this is even something that I, this is kind of the goal of the, the company that I started Agamemnon, which is to provide the analytics for these types of cohorts so that, you know, and, and then ultimately build a marketplace for finance financiers to come in and fund these, um, you know, in, in doing that, I spoke to some hedge funds about like, Hey, would you want to participate in this kind of marketplace? And, 
um, you know, they were, you know, kind of uniformly interested. But what they said was, look, we don't, we're not interested in like earning 5% or 10%. I mean, even when you think about the compounding effect, we've got to have preferred equity. So we need some, we need to capture some of that like tail value. Like, so like we'll fund the first 90 days of the cohort, but then we need to capture 50% of all of the remainder through the lifetime of the cohort. <laughs> and otherwise it's not worth it to us. So I don't, I don't know how big what? these kind of facilities just, just one sec, Chris. I don't know how big these facilities can get. I mean, I, these feel like kind of, you know, a niche, opportunities, but um, it, it, the model makes sense. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I, I, I've been talking to Martin for a while. I think we did a, a, a panel with him ages ago. Um, but uh, Martin, I, by the way, Martin is an amazing sales guy because he makes something so freaking boring, interesting. And the guy has energy of like, you know, up here all the time talking about not, you know, this intricate bullshit in my opinion but it's not bullshit it's actually a very very <laughs> effective way of, of, of building your game but it's very very boring anyway so i, I do think Mar martin's is uh is brilliant and, and he also was uh very early on this whole thing so it's very complicated what they're trying to do and that's what martin tries to do is explain it in in layman's terms and that's why you you know when eric seaford suford well, i can't pronounce your name dude but anyway he talks about it, it's like it's very complicated. It's very hard to get people to understand what they're trying to do, you know, and, and hedge funds are probably not the right type of audience. It's more like, I would say family offices that are looking for more like, you know, um, consistent returns. I think that that's a better audience. So anyway, so this thing is here. It's been around for a while. I've talked to a gajillion, not a gajillion, dozens of people about this over the years. Uh, Martin was like the first and I, now it's good to see other people come along kind of just kind of validates the whole idea and the model. So anyway, good, good for Martin getting out there. Uh, Forte raises 185 million at a 1 billion valuation for blockchain game platform. So Forte is, um, is, it's not a game. It's not a game company. It's not making game itself. It's a San Francisco based infrastructure company using blockchain tech to enable new kinds of game economies. Uh, Kevin Chow is actually the CEO and a founder of this company. Uh, Kevin Chow is the CEO. Chu. Chu is of the, of Kabam. And um, what was, it was a, it was a very long article. I haven't seen these type of long articles on, on VentureBeat. So <laughs> clearly, clearly there was no love lust uh, between, between these two. And, and um, overall, I do have to say VentureBeat has been given away a lot of love as of late. Dude. It's a racer article that, that they were just basically the article was set was quoted as this is why I love Embracer and shout out to VentureBeat. That's how you that's how you give love away. I, I love it. Dude, dude, Kevin Chu could raise money for an alpaca farm, man. That guy, yeah. that guy has gotten this down to a science, you know, like yeah. he's, this is his second billion dollar startup uh, for after Kabam. And he also has other, you know, the uh, esports stuff going on. So and his connection with uh, uh, our boy at uh, VentureBeat, um, Dean Takahashi, is is pretty tight. So <laughs> I, I have a lot of friends in this company because they're all ex-Kabam people, right? And so um, and and so of course they they close this round right as crypto takes a forty percent freaking drop, right? So you know, timing is everything, right? So I'm hoping we see something. I did a panel with one of uh, one of their main guys out there a while back, and uh, Mike Tremezzi. And um, and uh, we were talking about this and I was it's like the only part of crypto like I, I, I maybe I, I understand or I believe in is a digital asset asset ownership type thing. And, and they are basically on the cutting edge of it. But it's like 
it, it, it's all about the chicken or the egg, right? You need a game that takes advantage of this to, to rationalize the platform itself and, and see what the advantages are. And I, I just don't know of any that exists, frankly. And uh, I'm actually relatively close to it. So I'd love to see in a press release all the game companies that are making games that are going to take advantage of of blockchain technology. But uh, but now that we've seen the NBA top shot kind of like blow up and, and, and do extremely well, that that's validation. Um, and again, I, I do believe in it, but we'll see how uh, Forte uh, competes against all the other co- people coming into the space. So they had a they had a creator program right where they would pay studios to yeah. implement blockchain economies which i think makes sense I'm, i imagine maybe this funding round is is uh is part part of that's going to go towards you know funding more of those integrations i i heard a story about when they were raising the first round um you know they, they were on a call they went on an investor call and you know they're kind of going back and forth and the due diligence you know was was unfolding and and kevin uh chu couldn't make the first part of the call and he kind of walks in like mid-conversation and it's just like uh hey guys here's the terms uh happy to take your check uh you know this week but it's gotta be <laughs> you're either in or out and like and the, and the investor was like okay fine <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, he's a baller, dude. He just gave like forty million dollars. This is a Kevin Chu building at Berkeley, man. Like, dude, this guy is oh, is, yeah. is, is 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 the man. He is the man, right? I they I do. They I also sponsored it. the f- the football stadium, right, or the football yeah, field. Yeah, yeah. I, I was we were there for that. We always we felt that was a total waste of money. But you know, it, 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 you know, Kevin is Kevin. Kevin is is the man. So <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right. Moving on. Um, my only update. Uh, is uh, maybe talking shit about Jam City, but um, so I, I was supposed to, I, as I said, I was supposed to join that uh, the uh, Joseph with this, but I didn't have a chance to do it. So, um, you know, Jam City basically did, created a SPAC to go public, and they acquired Ludia in order to build them together. You know, and I think for the first time in two years, I think I can say these words. This is a fair valuation for a gaming company. <laughs> Two times, 2.5 times revenue makes sense in my view for this company, right? Versus the comps, which are going insane. However, for them, it really fundamentally comes down to whether they can grow revenue profitably. And I think that's the, that's the issue with all these companies, right? So they had the most banner year last year, and now they have to grow profitably with new games and growing their existing services. And I think this is where a lot of these companies are going to falter, you know, whether it's Unity, Skills, uh, Playtika, all these companies are, ha- are going to have a real challenge in this new environment. And that, that's kind of my fundamental problem with all these SPACs, SPACs and, and IPOs, right? So for, for Jam City in particular, in 2020 was a banner, banner year for mobile, right? Mobile gaming grew like 30% in the West, right? But of course, Jam City only grew 18%, right? So they were like behind the market. Um, they're forecasting only 18% growth in 21, which is actually relatively low and their growth is going down in the year that they're going public. Um, and if they're considered a growth company, that's not necessarily really all that uh, extreme. But in 2022, based upon their forecast, they're going to grow 30%, right? 30% from what, right? You know, it's like the products in the pipeline need to drive like $200 million in, in growth. Like, won't IDFA have some impact here? You know, can, can they maintain their existing products? Does that mean that maybe if those come down 50, they have to grow by 250 million? Like if you look at their pipeline, I just don't see products that are going to be generating that kind of revenue. Like it just doesn't seem possible. But but anyway, 
that's like the main part of my big problem with Jam City General is they don't have a pipeline that's going to justify these models that they've thrown out there for growth. But the profitability is even worse, right? And this is where they're very, very, very similar to Glue, right? Where, you know, in the best year in mobile, where the market grew 30% and they grew 18, their profitability was 6%. How is that possible, right? <laughs> when you were getting downloads for free, you know, people were coming out in droves, right? It was getting cheaper and cheaper to acquire users. And yet the profitability was almost an all significantly lower to the peers, right? Which are sitting at 20 to 25 to 30 or higher in some cases. Uh, even glue was higher than this last year. You know, I think they were like at 12%, right? Double. So not only do they have meager growth relative to the market, but their profitability was like, you know, well below um, their uh, peers. And then now they're expecting to have 13% growth in the out years and 15% growth in 2022. I mean, that is still actually well below their peers, uh, Playtica, Zynga, SciPlay, et cetera. So anyway, I have growth. I have questions about growth on the top line. And I think they have un unrealistic expectations on what it's going to cost to scale these games and build these games, frankly, on the bottom line. And I don't really see much in the pipeline that's really going to help them do either, frankly. And again, I think this feels like a lot like an old, you know, uh, glue, right? So, you know, how glue is meandering around with a few great games that have been doing well for a long, long time, but I don't know if they have the capability to grow to what they're expecting. So that's kind of my quick take on <laughs> Jam City. And I'm sorry for all my friends that work at Jam City, but, uh, you know, gotta, gotta say it how it is, right? So, anybody else? Well, I think that that's that's the the update. So let's jump in, <laughs> into the uh, the news. I got nothing. to Why say. You guys always seem so fucking shocked every time I say something. I fucking write this shit down. You know what I'm gonna do, and every time it's like the silence, right? Of like twenty <laughs> seconds of silence. Well, we don't we don't have anything to add. Like Jam City. Um, I don't know. I, I, what's their biggest title? Is it the uh, the Harry Potter one? Well, yeah, Harry Potter did really extremely yeah. well from them. That was actually that's, really, but I think that's, surprising. that's problematic with that game. Like, what's the revenue share on that? We we know that the yeah. uh, Harry Potter, and especially that was done by I think Tinyco. Like that was one of the last ones of the Tinyco game. So so it's yeah. uh, like you know we've we've heard what the uh, what the revenue share deals on on those Tinyco games <laughs> were back in the days. So do they have the same type of a share? And if they do, that that really eats into their profitability, of course. Yeah. But uh, but in in uh, sorry in their defense uh, they do have some they're some forever franchises right they do have like these cookie jam bingo pop and bubble shooters etc all those things are likely to continue to generate revenue the big big challenge is their pipeline is more mid core core and and I don't I don't know if they have the teams actually to execute against a Star Wars game a um a Avatar game and. And they're doing some kind of design home ripoff too. So it's like, I don't know, dude. I, I it think seems so. this is going to be a good one for me to cover because because yeah. it's all about the products, right? Um, it's not about hype, and the valuation is reasonable. So the stock could go up. Like I, I mean, I think people are going to see that it's, it's they're going to want to dream to dream and see that it's a discounted game uh, company. I'm not suggesting this is going to be bad. Uh, my, my comment on this is like before you guys even start talking about SPAC, and before I even knew what SPAC is, I heard about Jam City potentially going to going to do a SPAC. And that's when somebody told me that. And I was like, 
And they were like, do you know what's back? I was like, I got no clue. <laughs> so I don't now, know what Now everybody knows what a SPAC is. I have is. no idea what is happening. Like, is that like some kind of a maneuver? <laughs> like, All, right. All right. We have to move on. Sorry. So we have a, we have a hard anyway, stop for you guys doing your little yeah, but conference. Valuation and Ludia is also a really good company. Uh, they, they are the way they've been working with IPs. Uh, they're steady. Like why, a, do you hate, why do you hate Lydia, Eric? Like, Lydia is awesome. It, it's yeah. a great studio. Like, it's not it's not EA. It's not Activision, no, no, no. but it, oh, as sorry. a small no, I, I wasn't talking studio. about Lydia. No, no, no. Oh, okay. the, pro- the problem with the strategy is that they're all licenses, right? And so they're beholden yeah. upon the licensors. They have no IP, right? And so, like, yeah. you're so talking... I, can't, I obviously can't comment about that yeah. stuff. <laughs> you cite your sources about certain rev share deals, et cetera. I cannot comment on it. They are no, a great but, but when you're giving 20 to 25% out of the, on the top on a mobile game, which is generally what these licenses may cost, maybe maybe a little bit cheaper. It's just, it, it's a tough a model. It's more. a tough model without or, that. Or a little bit more as the word on the street with back in the tiny co was. So it was a little bit more. Oh, but it was a anyways, lot more back then. Yeah. Yes. So so that's, that's why I'm kind of like, hmm. Those are the tiny code games. Oh, right, right. The tiny, no, okay, yeah, yeah, right. So right, that, that's ancient history. All right, let's move on. Anyway, so let's talk about, let's talk about uh, the news. So first article, Netflix is looking for exec to oversee a push into gaming. There were a few different articles that came uh, with, with this same, same title and there wasn't a lot of information on them. So I'm gonna quote a little bit. A source familiar with Netflix plans tells Axios to think of its smaller Apple Arcade, but Netflix plans are not public and potentially in flux. So really, all we know at this point is that it's looking to hire an executive to oversee the gaming effort. Uh, there was also a quote from co-CEO Reed Hastings. Uh, he previously said um, about gaming that it remains a very interesting area for the company's future content plans. Netflix has also been adapting several video game franchises such as Konami's Castlevania, Valve's Dota, and The Witcher into TV shows. So I started kind of breaking this down into like, why are they doing like, what is the strategic objective? Is it to create new Netflix subscribers through the added benefits? Is it to generate revenue through new subscription? Or is it to keep existing Netflix subscribers retained for a longer time? So if it's for revenue, it's kind of hard to see that the subscription model is the way to go. They would have to have an extensive amount of games uh, that's very costly to to develop, and suddenly they're competing for these same developers with Apple Arcade. With I don't know if Google Play is still doing the uh, the Play Pass. I think that's what it, what it was called. Uh, and then that really really increases the development price of everything. It, it makes it even less profitable. So it's really really hard model to 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 operate. And plus, what is their competitive advantage? Because with Apple Arcade model, they would be going against Apple Arcade an Apple that owns the whole platform. <laughs> so, so it's like, how does that even work? And, um, and even with Apple owning the whole platform, uh, we, we kind of, you know, been hypothesizing that, that, um, that Apple Arcade is struggling a little bit, at least all the news of them kind of constantly changing the type of games they're putting in on the, on the platform really suggests that it's not going very smoothly. And now it's just bundled uh, as a piece of, of a larger service offering. Uh, meaning that it might have not been so interesting on its own. So there's definitely been some struggles with Apple Arcade. So it's kind of like a question mark is like, what is their competitive advantage? And of course you'd say like, well, they have all these IPs. And I kind of started pulling data for for IP-based games. So games based on uh, these streaming shows. 
We got Westworld from W from Warner Bros. Did two million installs. I don't know what happened with that game. I just pulled it out like top like that was the top show, but it only got two million installs. Stranger Things that that got fourteen million installs. They made actually a game out of that. Game of Thrones twenty million installs. These are all lifetime values. Rick and Morty, one of the biggest ones, 30 million installs. And of course, Walking Dead, two different games. One came from Next Games, that was 30 million installs, and Scopely with 50 million installs over the lifetime of, I think, five to six years. Um, so, and then again, when you look at the most watched, showed at the mo- watched shows at the moment, we got the Rick and Morty, that's already a game. Attack on the Titan, that could be a game. Shadow and Bone, I don't even know what that is. Probably not a good game. Handmaid's Tale, kind of hard to see that being a game. Hacks, Invincible, Mayor of East Town. So, uh, are you all- talking about like Netflix IP or what? These uh, are Netflix IPs. These, these are just HBOs. IPs, yeah. Overall, and and what I'm trying to say is like a lot of these streaming IPs don't lend themselves too well to be games. That's what I'm basically trying to say. Uh, oh. So, so that that and that's kind of like even though the show, yeah. I, be- I, I think your point is well taken, but your examples are not. Yeah, my example of that, but but what I'm trying to say is great shows don't mean that they can be great games. It just doesn't doesn't go in that way. Uh, but then again, Netflix has an audience of about 207 million subscribers around the world. So they do definitely have a platform to promote their gaming platform. So in the end, I was kind of like thinking about like how Netflix could approach this. So there's the uh, the Apple Arcade route, which seems to be not the smartest way to take. I mean, they would have to basically be competing against Apple Arcade for developers and then offering, yeah, arcade games kind of be in that content treadmill of getting more and more and more games that would hook players. And, and it, it just, it seems like a, like a very difficult and expensive way to enter the market. Uh, and also a way that is not proven to work. So makes it even more risky. Then there's the uh, the licensing route, and I think they are already doing licensing. So basically, giving these IPs to existing game developers like Ludium uh, to make games, and then take a cut out of that. I know that they're doing a licensing deal with a Stranger Think, Stranger Stranger Things uh, game again with Next Games. They've been open about it, so I think that game is coming later this year or early next year. It's a location-based game, so let's see how that works out. Uh, the third option is to go into a whole publishing model. So basically have internal publishing team working with external studios. Uh, and of course, the easiest way is to acquire an existing mobile publisher, let's say like Network or Tilting Point, or why not just go all the way and just take scope. Wait, what? Oh, dude. Okay, hold on, hold on. What are you talking about? Dude? They're not making mobile games. They're making AAA games for for, for, a, for a premium service. Who? Like Netflix? Uh, yeah. Like... It, they want to be making AAA game for premium service. Well, that's what they're doing—a subscription service. They're not going to be building, you know, network-style games. Yeah, well, there's there's different ways, and then of course there's the uh, the last route is that what you said, the internal development. We talked previously about JJ uh, Abrams' Bat Robot, and recently there was an article saying that they raised additional forty million to the ten million that they had before, and they are making a, a AAA game uh, using, you know basically employing and creating new IPs. And, and that's the option four. But those are the three, op- the four options that I see. It's going with the uh, the subscription Apple Arcade model, licensing, publishing, or big ass internal development. What do you guys think? Uh, all the news is basically pointing them thinking they can build up a content subscription within Netflix, right? Yeah. Um, 
the point that I kind of get hung up on is the quote saying we're going to build a smaller Apple Arcade. When I think Netflix must know, like the value of content subscriptions are in the network effect created from having that all that content. Like Xbox Game Pass is the Netflix of games and they got there with having enough high quality content in that subscription, not necessarily by just paring down and going to a few games. So like on top of the obvious issues of having to basically become a first party publisher with their kind of mid-tier IP, um, like there's obvious massive execution risk. But then on top of that, like why go to this business model, Eric? Uh, dude, this is like Herculean, dude. I, I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, they have tons of money, but like, they, you know how much bodies they would need in order to do something like this? I mean, this is this is reminding me of what Amazon was trying to achieve, you know? Like 10 years later, they have no games out on the market, right? And I don't know, man, this whole thing seems weird. Just weird, right? It, I, and I, I just want to be clear. It is so freaking hard for entertainment to companies to compete interactive because the skill sets are exactly are, are almost the opposite right building a movie and building a game is completely different right and it takes two different type of creatives all kinds of different kinds of engineers i mean it's, it's just it's just not even the same so I, I don't know what's going on with this this isn't even it really doesn't make a lot of sense and i i'm, I'm sure well, no. I, 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 there's just no way there's no way that this could be successful Unless, unless, unless they acquire a big company, maybe, you know, but even then that's a disaster waiting to happen because they don't have any infrastructure to support studios or support publishing, support marketing, support any type of hardware. You know, streaming is a joke, right? Because none of the audience wants to play it that way, right? And and I don't think the consumer necessarily wants to consume it in that way either, right? And And anyway, it's just, all this is just, big tech trying to get into to interactive and and it's not going to end well like it didn't well for it. it look i mean look the bodies are on the fucking floor right now right google the biggest company in the world one of the biggest companies in the world failed miserably apple completely struggling and and miserably mismanaging the stupid apple arcade thing right stupid idea from the get-go frankly right amazon dude they have unlimited funds dude they don't even have to be profitable as a company they can spend into oblivion they failed 10 years hundreds and hundreds billions of dollars spent right so what do you think is going to happen here right i mean honestly who in the hell would take this job right and who in the fuck wants to work for netflix to build video games that's what i'm asking who in the hell wants to go to Netflix? Why? After Why? Because Amazon failed, Google failed. And so all this does, all this does, the good news here is that Netflix will spend insane amounts of money to get, get the best uh, best people possible. And so, and get you get Netflix stock and you can just cash it in the bank, right? There you go. That's what's so good. That's the good thing about this industry. But the chance of success here is fucking zero, right? Fucking zero, dude. We've been here. We've done this over and over and over again. Stop it. Stop. Yeah. I don't know. I, I've, I've read the uh, the No Rules Rules book just recently, so I'm a big fan of Netflix at the moment. And, and I, I don't know. I, I think it seems like they have a very strong culture. So why not? Like, like it's it's there. They can get any talent they need, and they can build the uh, the organization based on learnings from previous failures, so they don't have to fail the same way again. Are you consulting for Netflix right now or something, dude? This is ridiculous. There's no there. there look, come on. Hey Netflix, right, up. Well, uh, we gotta go. Go 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 go. Greet yeah. I, I would I would I would take that job to be fair. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> that sounds, that sounds like a job. 
Like, yeah, yeah. If I get, I if I get say, a call I'm, next I'm, week, I'm out. against what Eric is saying here. Yeah. Like, I'm with yeah. Stupid. Like, yeah. would you take the money, yeah. take the job for the money, or would you take the job for their, uh, their, the prospects of actually doing this? Why are those two different things? Why, why? Yeah. <laughs> I I would I I would just point out one thing. I have one one tiny addition to make here. I I think it's a retention play, although like it's like it's just a companion app that is free for subscribers. But if you look at Netflix uh, churn, it's super low and it's super steady, right? Antenna, which is like an analytics um, service for streaming uh, for, for the streaming uh, market, published a a, a chart a, a while back. And, you know, Netflix churn is like stable at like 2.5% or something, whereas all the other streaming services is kind of like up and to the right in terms of churn. Netflix is super stable. So, I mean, I guess if they can reduce it a little bit, that's that pays for a, a lot. But it is it's probably as low as you can get a streaming service to be. Yeah, so they know what they're doing with, with subscriptions. No, so they don't need help with fucking retention. Is the big, anyway, all right. Yeah. They, want to, they want to build a new service. More power to them. And and you can cash all those Netflix checks all you want, Mr. Mishka. All right, moving on. Um, Garena Free Fryer. So, um, yeah, that, I'm I'm super interested in this game, actually. Uh, sorry, I'm going to rant on this a little bit. I know everybody's a bit pressed for time, but um, I just think in general, Garena Free Fryer is such a great case study in product strategy um, and taking on major incumbents in the market. So, um Nico, as well as Mouse of the Meta, have reported on C Limited's financials, and overall, they're stunning. Um, 650 million quarterly active players, which was a 61% increase year over year, and roughly at about 12.2% quarterly conversion. Um, so based on the Q2 2020 news of the game reaching about 100 million Dow at that time, by ratio, just simple ratio math, it's probably over about 130 million Dow right now, which is insanity. Like putting that in perspective, League of Legends um, is reported in 2021 at about 115 million Mao and 50 million Dow. And that's according to leakfeed.net. So this game is, you know, two and a bit League of Legends. Green Free Fire is now making more in the US than COD Mobile and is actually nearly within 10% of making the same as PUBG Mobile monthly in the US, which is insanity. Um, Free Fire is now reaching about $19 revenue per install in the US and the RPI curve for the US is actually looking exponential. It's not flat, which really like is putting it at the same level as, game, as apps like Coinmaster is just $5 shy of AFK Arena and is poised to pass it given its curve, which is insane for a cosmetic-driven economy, right? So C and Garena have done what most studios are really striving to do and take on a massively scaled competitor without IP and still win. And I think Free Fire is proof that IP isn't everything in the shooter market, nor is being, say, Timmy or Lightspeed. All it takes is thousands of people and an insanely complex, regionally distributed live operations model, right? So let's put that on our pitch decks when we're putting together shooter, um, uh, shooter VC funded companies, right? All you need is thousands of people. Anyways, how do they actually do it? And I really almost put this back to like Sun Tzu level art of war style product strategy. Uh, first, they scaled actually where they could win. PUBG, Call of Duty, Fortnite, Knives Out, all massive incumbents, all with incredibly defensible positions in the market. And any sane team would have looked at that and said, this is impossible. 
But what they did do is basically carve out specific geographies, demographics, as well as technology that they could focus on. For example, Knives Out really focused on Japan. Fortnite obviously focused on a younger demographic. And PUBG obviously dominated in Asia with COD Mobile growing in the West. But all of them were focusing on higher-end devices. So when carving out their product strategy, they were divisive in, decisive in what regions, demographics, and, de and devices they could actually target. They decided to scale in lower tier devices, which also allowed them to say localize in Latin America in lower tier geographies. Um, and the thing is, in terms of how they scaled there, they didn't just do localization. They didn't just do the bare bones there. They actually have um, a local live team in each of their key regions and that live plans are actually set locally based on IP and content that is relevant to that locale. And I think that has really allowed them to create some incredibly um, uh, growing, say, uh, they were able to grow quite well in those regions versus their competitors. And I think when they've established that, they've been able to scale in those regions. Secondly, they were able to establish a foundational level game design change that actually created efficiencies in their live ops. And I think everyone should be looking at this. Garena made one foundational change that sets them apart from COD Mobile and PUBG, which is that cosmetics have stats. There's actually statistical differences that are minor, but instill this is a PVP game, that even if there's a small strategic difference between two different cosmetic items, that gives a far stronger desire to collect cosmetics in order to compete. And this foundational change allows them to um, change their live ops to actually output stuff that matters to the community in a scalable way, where cosmetic economies get into trouble when things become kind of best in slot problems. Like somebody buys Rambo in Call of Duty Warzone right now. That's great, but now they're unlikely to change that until you start delivering more, even more desirable cosmetics. You almost get into this power creep issue with cosmetics. And I think finally, they embrace that change to embrace a live ops model that was better than competitors. So they beat COD Mobile and... Uh, COD Mobile and PUBG Mobile on their live ops. And you can see that uh, really all of these PVP services all share the same DNA and all their engagement is dependent on an aggressive deployment of live content. That's events and cosmetics. The Arena Free Fire has launched 20 new limited time game modes through 2020. And that includes PVE modes, heist modes, race modes. Each are adjusting the rules in a way that modifies what weapons, what stats are relevant. And back to my second point, this then reinforces that differentiation. Now you have a wider set of cosmetics that are valuable since you need them for all those different events. And it becomes the same strategy as like CCRPGs, almost the same strategy as like Disney Tsum Tsum, the same strategy as like Genshin Impact, where the live ops is so much more uh, efficient, where every bit of content that they create can be leveraged to create much more value to the wider community. And I think this is really like business textbook level product strategy and efficient execution. And I think really is one that everyone should be studying for how you can compete and win in this business. Um, Eric? Oh, so I just want to make a quick clarification. Um, one of the reasons that they were so successful in, in Brazil and, and uh, Southeast Asia is because they established alternative payment methods. So people in Brazil don't have a lot of credit cards, et cetera. They don't have accounts, whatever. So they were able to do like retail and all kinds of other different strategies of, of, of getting money into the ecosystem, which made them monetize an audience, which was very hard to monetize. Right. And then obviously second of all, and, and, and those revenues have maintained all this time. And so I actually totally underestimated their ability to continue to 
maintain that audience. I didn't think that was going to happen. So I made a mistake on this particular name way back when, a few years ago. But their biggest thing that this happened is this 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 release in the U.S. is because they had never planned on actually releasing this game in the U.S. Oh, sorry. The other thing about the other sorry the other territories is they made the game super friendly towards lower end devices, right? Which is not the way like Fortnite is, or even Teamy's game is a little bit uh, tough. But uh, and PUBG in particular. So <clears throat> um, so those are the two things that helped them in these territories that were basically unmonetizable, right? And and to reach that audience. And then the second thing is that no, no one has benefited more from this Apple uh, lawsuit than the Apple versus Epic than these guys in the sense that they were never planning on bringing their game aggressively into the U.S. as far as I was un, under the impression. But once they, they, they started at once, you know, in the same time frame as, as Epic pulled um, Fortnite, they just have crushed it. And if you look at the data, it's like all their growth is coming out of the U.S. itself. <laughs> you know, it's like... I mean, they're doing insane about 28 million in the last month, right? Um, oh, that's it's gonna be even higher than that. Holy crap, right? Which is almost doubling the run rate um, in one one country. So um, that's kind of fueling all of their growth. And so they have a great game, well designed. All the things you're talking about with their live ops, their strategies are are sound. Um, I really want to see what their next game is going to be, right? Because they do have big teams now working on stuff. So we'll see what they come out with. But I think it seems like Greena continues to do well. So. Yeah, I think this is a like really fantastic strategy because it's very defensible. Like them being able to not only not not low quality, but not only that they're able to make games for all kinds of devices, uh, which sets them apart and has allowed them to actually publish other big games um, for, for 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 other companies, but also their ability to monetize in these tier three countries is just simply unrivaled, like making money in Southeast Asia. Look at how much they're making in, in Brazil. That's, that's insane. So they're, they're, they're just off the hook. And um, I think like the next step for Garena is not only the next game, but also like building an IP around this, because I think it's been more successful than in their wildest dreams. So now they kind of have to, perhaps, you know, build it to some, like make it to be perceived as big as it is right now, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, we have to cut it short because these guys have somewhere to go. Next week, we'll talk about Tim Cook getting freaking creamed by the judge in the in the last day of the trial. Oh my God, he got roasted. It was awesome. Uh, calling him out for, you know, the predators that they are at Apple. Um, but anyway, we'll talk about that next week and, uh, yeah, everyone have a good one. Thank you everybody. And next week.